Shalom, Chavra. I want to share some incredibly powerful ideas with you relating to the transition from Hanukkah into really the rest of the year. We're going to focus on the unique transition to Teves and why that transition actually occurs during Hanukkah itself into a month which seems antithetical to what Hanukkah represents. But I want to frame this year by asking you a question. Would you prefer to be at the head and the top of the surrounding environment that you find yourself in, in the sense that you are above and beyond, you are the leader, you are the, you know, so far and above where everyone else is? Or would you rather be the tail, be at the bottom, and be in a position where everyone is so far ahead of you? And what are the pros and cons of each? If you're at the head, if you're on top, then you can be a leader. It's, you know, you get to have the opportunity to lead others, but if you're on the top, there's not much you can learn from those around you, right? You can argue you could, but in a certain sense, no one will be actually teaching you principles and ideas and concepts that you don't know. You're the smartest, you're the in the, the most extraordinary in, um, among all your peers. But if you're at the tail, on the one hand, it's extraordinary, it's amazing, it's so positive, you get to learn from everyone around you, but where's your self-confidence? <laughs> you're, you're at the bottom of the crop. And that's the question I want you to think about. I want to frame this year by having you think about that dichotomy because the answer is not actually clear. You know, if you're at the top, you're clearly above and beyond, but what about all the rest of the growth and potential you want to have? If you're at the bottom, it's so uninspiring to be at the at the back, at the tail, you know, looking up at everyone else, but at the same time, there's so much room to grow. There's so much opportunity to to get inspired to grow to learn from those around you which one's better that's the question that's the question i want you to keep in the back of your mind and i think the way that i want to frame this year is like this we're leaving hanukkah right we just left hanukkah and we're going into the rest of the year what does that mean and is Hanukkah different than other Chagim in the nature of its transition into the rest of the year? But to frame this, I want to actually go back to a unique a unique Gemara in, which talks about the relationship between the menorah and the mezuzah. The Gemara in Shabbos, talks about where, you, where to place the menorah in relation to the mezuzah. So the Gemara says that how do you place the menorah? Place it opposite the mezuzah. So when facing the doorway, the the mezuzah goes on the right and the menorah goes on the left. So it's a peculiar Gemara because number one, the Gemara actually starts out with the machokas that concludes this way. But what's the relationship between the mezuzah and the menorah? It seems like the way the Gemara formulates it, there's an intrinsic connection between the mezuzah and menorah almost like there are two aspects, they parallel each other, and that the menorah needs to be opposite, needs to be parallel to the mezuzah, and needs to go on the left, and the mezuzah goes on the right. So the question is like this. What are the themes between the, behind the mezuzah and the menorah? What are the deeper themes here? And also to take a step back, what's the connection between the two, and why can't they both be on the right? It seems like the menorah has to be on the left since the mezuzah is on the right. I mean, you know, what, they can't both be on the right, they can't both be on the left. If Mrs. is going to be on the right, why can't the menorah also be on the right? So what's the deeper theme here behind this this parallel dichotomy behind the menorah and the mezuzah between left and right?
Next step. We transition from Hanukkah into the month of Teves. The month of Teves is is a tragic month. It marks, you know, the, the, the transition to, to a higher level of darkness. If you think about it, what happens at Sarba Teves, we have the fast of when the, the, the Torah was translated. There's many uh, tragedies that happen in the 8th, 9th, and 10th of Teves. It's a, it's a very dark month. And the question is, what's going on here? We, we leave Hanukkah. Usually you leave the Chag with a victory, but we seem to be leaving Hanukkah and going into a deeper tragedy that relates to a Greek tragedy. So we're victorious over the Greeks on Hanukkah, and then we go to Sarbatavis, and we're back to losing to the Greeks. So, so what's going on here? What's the deeper meaning behind the transition from Hanukkah into Tevis? So th- these are interesting questions. And the reason I'm going to frame this is because we want to understand the deeper nature of what Hanukkah represents, specifically as it relates to once we leave Hanukkah why it's perhaps unique among all the other Chagim, and this unique transition into the month of Teves, which we're going to actually ask happens during Hanukkah. Teves seems to be in direct contrast to Hanukkah, and yet the transition to Rosh Chodesh Teves happens during Hanukkah. So what, what is going on? There's so much to delve into, so much incredible Torah to think about. But we're going to frame this year by delving into perhaps the fundamental concepts of Torah thought, which is understanding the concept of chesed din and teferis, which in the realm of deeper thought is the absolute fundamental framing concepts of all Jewish thinking. And these concepts go like this. What is chesed, what is din, what is teferis? So chesed, din, and teferis are three stages, as the Maharal talks about. Ramchal talks about all the deeper thinkers talk about these concepts and ideas. But what do they mean? So Ches is the first stage. Chesed represents the first stage in any process. It represents the infinite expansion. So Chesed literally means kindness, but it, the concept of kindness is the expansion from you to someone else. But the spiritual concept of expansion is infinite. It's limitless. It's spiritual. It's ethereal. It has l- limitless potential. It could be anything. It could become anything. So when you begin your day, you could do anything with your day. When you begin your life, you can become anything with your life. When we talk about the initial stage of a process, of, of any process, within time, when Hashem created the world, the world could become anything. Then HaKadosh Baruch made it. This, this physical world, the first stage always represents this outflow, this spiritual infinite um, boundless possibility of what could be. The next stage is a limitation of that infinite, boundless possibility into something actual. So it's limiting the infinite into the finite, the spiritual into the physical, the limitless into the bounded. It's giving boundaries and limitations and borders to something. So the mushal that the, the deeper Jewish forces use, and the Gemara actually talks about this as well, is the right hand versus the left hand. The right hand is that which expands and extends limitlessly. It represents outflow, chesed, outpouring, love, overflow. And the left hand represents limitation, restriction, koach, gibur, gvura. So Avram represents chesed. He's the first age of Klai Yisrael, the first age of the Avos. Yitzchak restricts and bounds that limitless, makes it real, makes it something finite. So Avraham is the beginning, and Yitzchak repeats everything Avraham does. Yitzchak even looked like Avraham. He redug the wells. He went down to Mitzrayim with Avimelech. He repeated everything that Avraham did to, so to speak, bring it into actuality, to give it boundaries and borders to make it real. The next stage is Teferis, which is the perfect harmony between right and left. It's the center, it's harmony, it's, um, it's balance, it's beauty, 
and we're going to get into some of the, the, the expressions and the examples, but the real concept is like this. The second stage, din, otherwise known as gvura, as strength, as, as, as limiting something, it's exactitude, another way of saying is mida, connected mida, you know, um, measure for measure, it's giving something exactitude, it's, it's olam haba, you get mida, connected mida, it's midas din, you get what you deserve, whatever you earned in this world, that's what you become, whoever you became in this life, and that's who you are, that's midas din, as in, even the foundation of din is chesed. That's something also too important to realize. The, the very notion of the second stage is not something new. So, so we're going to get to that. What does that mean? The limiting is an order that it's not too much. So the second stage is there to enable the first stage. So the first stage is outflow. The second stage is not something new, but it's a limitation, a limited aspect, a limiting amount of that initial stage. So for example, rain. Rain is just something, but what's chesed, what's, what's outflow, what's the right-hand side of rain when it just rains uncontrollably? What would that be? A model. Flood. You know, the whole world would... So what's the left side? A limitation of rain. Oh, but if you have a complete limitation of rain, what happens? It's a drought. There's no water at all. Everyone dies. So what's the teferis? The teferis is basically the balance between these two kochos, between these two midos, these attributes. So you don't have too much or too little. You have a perfect amount. With everything in life, nothing is good or bad. It depends how it's used. And the ideal is to find that middle balance of extremes. So, for example, parenting. You don't want to be too strict, because then you will restrict the potential of your children. But you want to be too, uh, so to speak, boundless and too forgiving and just create no boundaries, because then the children will actually become developed. They, they need rules. You need restrictions, limitations to create actual growth. Otherwise, you go nowhere. It becomes really destructive. When it comes to teaching, you teach too much, you overwhelm the student. You teach too little, they want more. They're not really learning. You need to find that perfect balance. The Gemara in Psachim, Kuf Yud and Alf, says that as much, or I should say more, than the calf wants to drink, the cow wants to nurse. And that's the real struggle of when you want to give. You have to know that sometimes if you really give, you're taken. Because you're not actually giving. A true giving is a limited giving, a giving that can be received. And when you give in an uncontrolled way where it's too much, you overwhelm, then you don't end up giving at all. So the ideal is always this notion, this understanding, this balance between right and left, between chesed and din, between outflow and limitation. And that's what's really important, is to understand that the ikr is always chesed. The, the important aspect is always the, the outflow, the infinite, the spiritual, the giving. The din is there to enable the chesed, the outflow, the giving, the, the, the spiritual overflow to become something that can be received. And teferis is that perfect balance, when it's done in the perfect and ideal way. And... You know, if you really think about it, the Torah says this beautifully, that chesed can also be misused. You know, we think of chesed as something which is pure, something perfect, but you can give too much, you can also give in the wrong ways. So the chesed, the the Torah refers to to a form of arias as chesed. Why? Because it's a form of connection and giving and overflow that's inappropriate. And that's why everything in life is neither good nor bad. It needs to learn how to be used appropriately and properly. Chesed is not good and Gvura is not good. And Chesed is not bad and Gvura is not bad. It depends how they're used. 
And getting to that ideal teferis, that balance, is where we want to get to. So what are some other beautiful examples of teferis? So I, I said beautiful on purpose because one is, what's the root of teferis? Pe'er, beauty. So what's beauty? It's when you have a harmony of all these different aspects, different details. You take into account all these seemingly contradictory opposite elements and they fuse into a harmony. You go to a sunset on the beach and you know you, you see the sun reflecting off the water with the beautiful landscape and just HaKadosh Baruch Hu's beautiful world and you're just overwhelmed with this sensation. But what exactly is beautiful? Is it the sun? Is it the reflection? Is it the landscape? Is it the time of night? Is it who you're with? No, it's all the factors coming together into a oneness that creates beauty. Beauty is this harmony. It's why Rofe, which is the same root as Pe'er, beauty, Rofe, is creating homeostasis, creating a balance within the body, creating, so to speak, spiritual beauty within the body. It's why MS, we think of truth. I want to ask you, what is truth? So a lot of people, if they haven't yet gone to a developed stage of understanding wisdom, they think that truth is a fact or an idea or a statement. But in truth, no pun intended, Truth is actually a, a conglomerate, it's a synthesis, it's, it's a creation of harmony between multiple pieces. So when learning Lundus, the truth of the sugi is the spectrum of the sugi. You get the different perspectives coming to all. There's a, a fragmented truth. So there's a holistic truth, but that gets fragmented into shards of truth. So you have many different possibilities in shitos. You recreate that truth by taking all those pieces and putting it together because the truth in this world is actually all the pieces coming together to create the truth. So it's, you know, it's thesis, antithesis, synthesis. That's the famous philosophical concept of you have different things coming together and combating and through the conversation of all the different pieces coming together, that's how you get the truth. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a kid who comes and says, you know, he comes to his dad and said, ha, ha, this guy punched me in the face. You gotta get him in trouble. So his dad comes over to the kid and says, you punched my son in the face? Like, yeah, because he kicked me in the leg. He says, son, you kicked him in the leg? Yeah, because he pushed me down the stairs. You pushed him down the stairs? Yeah, because he called me names. So who's telling the truth? They're all telling the truth, but only parts of the truth. And the real truth is all the small pieces of truth coming together into a genuine oneness. And that's why truth is Tiferes, it's MS. That's why MS the Yaakov. Yaakov, remember, Avram is Chesed, Yitzchak is Din, Yaakov is Tiferes. It's harmony, it's oneness. And that's why Titin MS the Yaakov. I'll give you, you know, one or two last examples. One is Shalom. Shalom is peace. That's what we translate Shalom is. But what's peace? We often think of peace as, you know, no one does anything wrong to someone else. But really, peace is, is harmony. It's when... It's when you have a deeper state of existential homeostasis between different aspects. So it's not the lack of conflict, it's the fact that things are existing in harmony that could be existing in conflict. So shalem means complete. Shalom is harmony. That's why what was Pinchas given when he killed Cosby and Zimri? He was given the Birch Shalom. Part of it is because he needed the Birch Shalom because he was going to become a kahuna. Uh, he was given the gift of kahuna and he needed Shalom because a Kohen can be a murderer, so he needed the gift of Birch Shalom. But part of it is because what he created within Klai Yisrael is a deeper form of Shalom. There was chaos, there was Tov within Klai Yisrael, everyone was doing horrible averos, and Pinchas' killing Kazmi Zimri created Shalom, which is the irony of a violent act created Shalom. But Shalom is not 
you know, we think of practical peace where no one's an argument. Shalom is a state of harmony. And what he did is he recreated the spiritual harmony, reconnected Klai Yisrael to Hashem by getting rid of the chaos uh, that Zimri was creating with Cosby. And the last example I'll give you, which is an example which really requires a whole shit in itself, is marriage. Marriage is not simply a, a partnership between a man and wife. It's an existential, harmonious, oneness relationship where two people fuse into a oneness, where they maintain their individuality and yet create something that transcends the sum of their parts, which in a deep way is having a child. I'm not going to get into this now. It's a very deep topic. But what's another form of teferis, another word for teferis is rachamim. And a woman creates a child within her racham, which is the result of the fusion between man and wife. And that's why the whole world really is is, is a rachem, where a Kaddish Baruch Hu is, you know, this world is our womb, where where we are connecting to the spiritual world and, and trying to create Tiferes and, and perfect ourselves with very, very deep ideas that we're not going to get into. But you can think of it like we are all technically a fetus in a Kaddish Baruch Hu's womb. We're here in the world. We're... we're Becoming, you know, in a, a child in the womb spends nine months in gestation, be, growing and becoming, and enters into this world. We spend our lifetime growing and becoming until we enter into the next stage, until Amaba, into the next stage of of our existence. But but these are the underlying concepts of life, and we could seriously spend many hours delving into them, uh, unplugging the, the the profound secrets of just these three principles. But we're going to use it as a framework, because this basically gives us a framework of expansion and restriction, of spiritual and physical, of how to, so to speak, expand into the world infinitely, and how to restrict ourselves and limit ourselves into something particular. So one more, I'll say one more, one more point, which is really interesting to think about, is that something which is infinite is also nothing. Because it's it's not here. I mean, if you, you when you start your day, there's an infinite amount of possibilities you can do. But if it remains infinite, it's nothing. Only when it becomes finite does it become real. But when it becomes finite and real, it's limited in that it's just that. So infinite is great because it can be anything, but it's also nothing. And something that's limited and finite is great because it's real, but it's just that and it's limited. So. There's something great about both, and there's something limiting about both. And life is about balancing between the ideals of the infinite and the need to also achieve something real. Because one who becomes obsessed with what could be ends up doing nothing. One becomes obsessed with just actually doing things, won't really focus on the big picture and what could be, and won't focus their actualization of their infinite potential into something really powerful and meaningful. And that's something to think about, by the way, because there are a lot of people who grow but don't grow effectively and efficiently, and they don't become what they could be because they become so satisfied with just doing. And doing is incredible, but without being directed towards creating something bigger and something more qualitatively incredible, you can just create something. So if you have a billion bricks and you just start laying them out on the floor, you built, you know, something. You might build a road, you might but if you really think about what you want to build, you can build a skyscraper. You can build something majestic, something extraordinary. So the relationship between chesed and din is a relationship which needs to be thought about in a very deep way. And I'll tell you one last point before we move on back to the, our questions of the menorah and the mezuzah is like this. The most difficult job in life is to know how to balance between chesed and din. 
So we talked about teaching, we talked about parenting, but I'll give you some other examples. But I'll give you one great example. So a teacher needs to know how much to teach, how what the difficulty level to teach. Parents need to know how strict to be and when to give up on their rules, when to bend their rules. But what about a teacher? You have to have love for your teacher. But you also have to have covered in Europe for your teacher. You have to recognize how extraordinary they are, how, how above and beyond you that they are. So you want to connect with them, but you also have to have the boundaries of recognizing, whoa, you, you, this person is on a madri, on a level that is so far beyond, I need to recognize that. And that's something which is really interesting to think about, is how to relate to those people that are so beyond you. Do you want to relate to them as people? But that, that, that's, that's undignified. There's so much more. That. Do you want to relate to them as malachim? But then how are you supposed to relate to them? To find that balance of humanizing to the extent that you can build the Kesher, but not to the extent that you lose the Kavod and reverence and awe for who they are, that's something powerful to think about. So now let's bring this back. Because in some sense, the, the, what we're about to develop is deeply related. In some sense, we're going to veer into a little bit of a different direction. But I will tell you that it's always deeply related to these concepts, because these concepts relate to Kol Torah Kula. Everything you ever think about and learn it relates to the Chesedin and Tiferes. It is the foundation of everything of all physicality, of all spirituality, all of thought, all of emotions, everything is about this three-step process. But now let's bring it back to our discussion about the menorah and the mezuzah. So let's think about this. Well, what was our question? So why is the menorah placed opposite the mezuzah? And, and what's, what's the deeper theme here? Like, why does it, why was it so important that one be placed on the right, one be placed on the left? Why can't they be, both be placed on the right? Why is the fact that the mezuzah is on the right, the menorah now has to be on the left? Why are they connected? So what's going on here? So let's develop this. Let's start with by developing the themes of the mezuzah. So what is the mezuzah? What is the mezuzah? So the Rambam says in an unbelievable passage in the in the Mishnah Torah, Hilchas Mezuzah, he talks about the, the machshavos and the awareness that you have to have when you enter into a room. When you enter or leave a room, you see a mezuzah and become a he almost uses the shonos of a shofar, like it wakes you out of your stupor and you are awakened to the oneness of Akash Baruch Hu and the fact that Akash Baruch Hu is eternal and it, it wakens you up to deeper consciousness and you, you become so spiritually aware of, of the truth and Torah truth and the meaning of life. And it's unbelievable the way the Ram talks about mezuzah. We walk by mezuzah, some people kiss it, some people don't. But you know what a mezuzah is? It is the reframing of your paradigms and awareness as you enter into a room. And the parashios, the, the actual psukim that we put in the mezuzah are really the parashios of Shema. We, if you look at the parashios, we're not going to go into all the details, but it's talking about Akash Baruch Hu and the oneness of Akash Baruch Hu and the relationship he has with us and the, the, the sourcing our spirit, our physical world back to its source, back to Akash Baruch Hu. So, the first and most important principle is awareness. But what is the awareness of? So there's another aspect here. And the second aspect is a theme we've talked about before, which is straightening the bent path. If you look at the mezuzah, it's always crooked, it's slanted. Why? So the mashal that the Bali Machshava give is that this world is a, is, a, is a bent road, and we need to straighten the path. So what does that mean? So imagine if you're walking down the street. And you look back where you came from, you can see where you came from. But what if you take a, a right or a left turn? What if there's a fork in the road and you take a bend? If you turn around, you can no longer see where you came from. What's, what does that mean? 
it means that this world originally was a straight path. Before Adam Rishon sinned, everything in the world was absolutely clear. You can see HaKadosh Baruch the world was such a pure reflection of its spiritual source. But once Adam HaRishon sinned, the world became bent. You look around, you no longer see spirituality. When you look at something physically, all you see is the surface. You have to use your, your, your moach, your mind, your intellect, your, your soul to retrace the world back to its source because the physical no longer reveals the spiritual, it actually hides it. And only when you really learn how to see with spiritual eyes can you see that the physical reveals the spiritual. But naturally, and when you start out the process, you can't see the spiritual. And what is all of life about? It's about straightening the bent path, sourcing this world back to its source. So we're not going to go into it. Now we've talked about how tzitzis, when the beged bends, that's when we straighten that bent path. But with the strings of the tzitzis, they straighten the bent beged. That was after the Chet HaMaraglim, who had difficult sourcing the world back to its source. They didn't straighten the bent path. Um, Korach, also we talked about how he re- represents this concept. He said... We're not, we're not going to go into it now, but one of his one of his debates against Moshe was regarding mezuzah. So how does mezuzah relate to this concept of straightening the bent path? So a mezuzah, a mezuzah is bent. We talked about how the mezuzah, the parshiyos, represent the oneness of a Baruch Hu, How the physical world is is you know sourced from a Baruch Hu, from the spiritual realm, spiritual dimensions of life. So why is it that the mezuzah is bent? If anything, the mezuzah should be straight. But the idea is so powerful. It's that we think we see the world the way it is. We think that our physical eyes, our Gashmi eyes, that they see everything as it is. So we look at the at people who are spiritually tuned, and we might say that they're bent. That we see things straight. But the mezuzah is bent to say, you know what? The mezuzah is bent, but it reflects straining the bent path. You know what? Maybe the mezuzah really is straight, and maybe we're bent. Maybe our perspective needs to shift so that we align ourselves with the truth. Many people, they, they want to align Torah truth with their truth. They basically have a way of seeing the world. They have these predetermined answers, and they kind of stop Torah into their way of seeing the world. But sometimes you need to shift your perspective, and you need to bend your straight path to recognize that the real straight path is what you currently see as bent. And mezuzah represents the breaking down of our perceptions and the recreating of our perceptions. And this is why, if, if you think about it, let's, let's take this a step further. Moshe Shapiro talks about this in, in such an unbelievable way. The ikr aspect of the mezuzah, the ikr of the mezuzah, is entering into your home, entering into the Rosh Hashayachid. It's true the mezuzah applies equally in, in a certain sense of entering and leaving a, a room, and if you look at the way that the, the Rambam talks about, the Rishon talk about, do, they do mention both, but the Iker of the Mezuzah represents the transition from the Rishus Rabbin, the public domain, into your home. That's when you need to reframe yourself and really connect to the oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's true when you leave your house and you do it too, but the Iker aspect of the Mezuzah really is when you enter the home. That's the Iker. It enables you to create a Rishus HaYachid. What's the importance of Rishus HaYachid? What is a Rishus HaYachid? Unbelievable. Rosh Hashanah is a private, intimate home, a private, intimate makom. In the public domain, everything is, is in a certain sense, more artificial. There are limitations. You are, 
you are very caught up in how you are perceived by others. There's this constant element of comparison. There, there's the, the level of focus on existential, deep, fundamental ideas is very different. It's in the Rosh Hashayach, it's in the private domain that the, the true self, the true essence of the self exists. It's when you become aware of who you are, of why you're here. It's when you think about deep personal things like what your purpose, what your tafkid is in life, the challenges you're growing through, the things you want to improve on, your experiences in life, you reflect. And there's only so much that you can do with someone else in that regard. There are positive elements of having uh, you know, a chaver, having someone, especially your spouse, especially someone you're close with, a close rebbe, close friend. But there needs to be this this makam of yichud. And part, part of it is the, the essence of the home, and part of it is the essence of the self. And I would say that the Rambam says fascinatingly that the Iker, the Iker Torah, the Iker Torah, the Iker Chachmas Torah, the Keser Torah, is earned when one learns at night B'yichud. You think, what do you mean? In most Torah we learn in Beis Medrash, we learn with other people in Bechavrusa. What's this talking about Chachmas Torah is, is, is when you're by yourself? It seems to be antithetical. So there's different types of Torah and there's different times of Torah. And making Torah one with who you are, that's something that needs to be done alone, by yourself, in isolation. And if you think about it, the most impactful revelations, when you really connect the Torah to yourself, when you really apply it to who you are, it needs to be done in the, in the Rosh Hashayachet, in the private domain. And... This deeper inner Torah, that, that's really, the mezuzah is about the transition from the external, from Roshos Rabin, from the public domain, to the private, to the self. So when you enter from the public to the private, that's where the mezuzah comes in. So the right-hand side, which represents this level of beginning point, this transition point, this expansion, this, this notion of, of the ikr, the ikr of the mezuzah is on the right hand is, is, is when entering the home. So when entering on the home, that's when you put the mezuzah on the right hand side. So now the question is, why is the menorah on the left? Because, first of all, what does the menorah represent? So the menorah is so deep, so powerful. Now we don't really have time to go into the, the full depth of the menorah. We can give a whole share in this, especially you know, if it was earlier, if, it was, uh, if we're giving this on Hanukkah. But the menorah represents the miracles of Hanukkah, obviously the miracle of Shemin represents the transition from the miraculous to the miraculous within the natural. So Hanukkah represents the last open miracles, the transition to Teva, but miraculous Teva, where we see the miraculous within the Teva, which is why Purim represents this notion, this transition to seeing the miraculous within the Teva. There's an open miracle on Purim. It's a deep transition, a deep connection between Hanukkah and Purim is it's the smallest Open miracle, the Hanukkah miracle was the smallest open miracle in perhaps Jewish history, and Purim, which is the biggest hidden miracle in Jewish history, is so so obvious, so huge, but no open miracle. Second aspect of Hanukkah is the transition to Torah Shabbat. The transition to Torah Shabbat. The first stage of history is Torah Shabbat Sav. Baruch gives us a Torah and Sinai. We have we experience Ma'an Torah, but. This stage, as Refetner talks about, Hanukkah represents the Chag of Torah Shabbat as the transition to where there's machlokas, there's there's this need to recreate Torah light, but also lo he that really Torah now 
resides within the realm of human consciousness. We are the ones who create halacha. Baskul doesn't create halacha. We create halacha. And it also represents our unique connection with Akash Baruch Hu, that the Greeks fought against. They fought against our connection with Hashem. They said, you have no chilek in Hashem. They made us right on the, on the horns of an ox. That you have no chilek, no share in Elke Israel. But what's the ikr essence of our tafkin and Chanukah? It's to light the the flame of the Chanukah within our home, and then to emanate that out into the world. Pursue Nisa. It's to take the intimate, the light of Chanukah, and to express it out of our homes into the world. And if you think about it, that's why beautifully on Shabbos Chanukah, what do we light first? The nearest of Shabbos or the nearest of Chanukah? We light the nearest of Shabbos first. Why? Because the nearest of Shabbos are very intimate. They're about Shalom Bayas. They're about creating the, the Avirah within the home. It's private. It's, it's really a Shalom Bayas question. But the nearest of Chanukah are about Pursumanisa, expressing that into the world. And Chayech HaKodma, when, when it comes to spiritual growth, you first focus on the intimate and the private, on what's going on inside of yourself, inside your home. We do Shabbos first, and then you express the lights of Chanukah out into the world. But where are the lights of Chanukah going to be? They're going to be on the right side of the door when you come out. Remember, they used to light the candles in the doorways, in the Chatzar. But on the right side, when you come out, because Hanukkah, the point of the Iker point, the point of expansion, the Iker essence and focus of Hanukkah lights, is not going into the home, but going out of the home. It's expressing that into the world, and that's why the beauty of of this this dichotomy, this relationship between the mezuzah and the menorah, is that the mezuzah represents the Iker focus on deeper contemplation and deeper existential awareness within the home within the Rosh Hashayachid, and the menorah represents the transition from the inside of the home into the rest of the world, pursuing Isa, impacting others, going out into the public, into the Rosh Hashayachid, and really inspiring the Klal. And I would say the real focus and the real, the real koach of Hanukkah is that it is a holiday that ends with it really beginning. That the Iker of Hanukkah is not meant to be an isolated Chag, but a Chag that then permeates and transcends its Zman and then goes out into the next Zman, into Teves. And that is why Rosh Chodesh Teves is actually on Hanukkah itself. Because we continue the mission of emitting the, the light of Hanukkah into the world on Teves. And now the real question and the Iker question that we're going to focus on now is what is Teves? What is this month of Teves? Well, what, is, what does this mean? What are we, why are we trying to take the life of Hanukkah and expand it outwards? Why don't we just say that Hanukkah is Hanukkah? Then we go on to the next stage of, of the Jewish calendar, of the, the, the Koach Hazman. Why, what's the import? And why do we focus so much on taking Hanukkah with us into Teves? Now, there are some important principles we need to first discuss, which is, number one, every single month is filled with depth filled with kochos, filled with ideas, and the Ramchal says that Zman is, is, is filled with themes and spiritual shefa to the extent that every single month has its koach. And we've talked about this in the past, that time, you can think of time as existing, you can think of time as going in a straight line, all of history just goes straight. You know, we have the past, the present, the future. You can think of time as going in a circle, so every single year has its kochot, every month has its kochot, its power, its unique themes. And the reason why things happen at certain times in the year is because that is the theme of that time. So 
Zman Gulaseinu, the reason why we were freed from Mitzrayim during Pesach is because that is the Zman, that is the Koach of Geula. And Zman Simchaseinu, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Sukkot, like that is the, the theme, like those themes are creating the Chagim, the Chagim aren't commemorations, we're not commemorating things that happen, but they happen because of the unique themes in time. And Zman Ma'an Torah, Sinu, that Shavuos happened because this is the time of Ma'an Torah. So, we need to really reframe our understanding of time to begin with. But once we understand that time is powerful, Chazal instituted this, this deeper notion of time, which is that each month has its unique themes as well. And also, each month has its unique Shevet. And what's the Shevet of Teves, the, the month that we currently find ourselves in? The Shevet is done. Who has done? What does Dun represent? Why is Teve so connected to Dun? Dun, if you see what what is Dun connected to, something we just mentioned, the concept we mentioned, Din, Gevura, limitation, restriction, boundaries, borders. But Dun has a very problematic Shevet. If you think about it, Dun was positioned last out of all the Shvatim. Why? Dun, what's the animal of Dun? The animal of Dun is a snake, a nachash. What do you think of immediately? You think of a nachash, the, the, the evil. You think of the Yitzhari. You think of, you know, the Chet HaAdam HaRishon. You think of all that went wrong in life. And yet one of the Shvatim, his animal, is a snake. Why do we associate evil with the Shevet? And the last question, which we began to touch upon, is why in the world is Teves connected to Hanukkah? Teves starts on Hanukkah, and yet all the things that happened wrong when it comes to Teves, when it comes to Hanukkah, happen in Teves. Meaning what? Meaning Hanukkah seems to be the victory over the Greeks, and yet Teves seems to be the victory of the Greeks over the Jews. Because what happens in Teves? Teves, we we basically say that the Greeks, uh, you know, caused the world to shake. That the d- darkness fell over the world. They translated the Torah into Greek. Um, all of the tra- so many things went wrong in Teves, and yet this happens after Hanukkah, not before. So it seems that right after we we celebrate our victory over the Greeks, we go into this stage of breakdown and failure and disarray. And the question is, what is going on here? What are the deeper themes here? And what is it? that Hanukkah is coming to teach us when we transition now into the month of Teves. Because remember, you can start to see you know, where the things are going to go because Teves starts on Hanukkah. So the transition into the stage needs to have Hanukkah as its root. But let's think about this. Let's start by really understanding Shevet Dan. So Shevet Dan seems to be the last and the lowest of all the Shvatim. And you can think of it in like this. So, so first of all, we know it, the snake represents evil. So that, that's that's easy. So right away, we we have question marks by done. Really, like the the shave of evil, like that doesn't make sense. Why is that part of Klai Yisrael? Number two is that when traveling in the midbar, done was always last. It was always positioned at the end, which right away gives off once again these signals of it's the lowest, it's the most physical, it's the last stage, it's it's you know really not part of us. Like what's going on here? How, how are we supposed to relate to done? What's the deeper theme and message of done? So, let's think about first the concept of being last. So when it comes to being last, so th- there is a negative side of being last because number one, physically you're in the last position. So it's the lowest rank. You're literally in the, in the most physical, on the totem pole, you are the last stage. You are the lowest, you are the weakling, so to speak. Conceptually, that's what you think. 
on the second stage, when, Tom, when it comes to the spiritual, you're also spiritually last. The Dun was, was not only positioned last physically, but they were really the one that struggled the most with spiritual matters. When it comes to Pesel Micha, Dun was involved in violating of Odezara. Yeravim set up golden calves, set up Avodazara, Nachlas Dun in the, in the territory of Dun. So Dun seems to really struggle with Avodazara, with idolatry. And you remember, the golden calves, this is the battle against the Greeks. They, they basically said, the Maral talks about the reason why they made us right on the, on the horn of an ox, that we have no chilek in Hashem, is because they were, they were basically bringing back and recalling the chet ha'engel, and yet Dun is the one who seems to really struggle with the Vodazara. Pesamicha, with the calves that Yeravim put in their nachla, in their, in their territory. So there's a lot of negative that we think about when you think of Dun, yet there's also a lot of positive physically and spiritually. So physically, the Dun is, you think of them as the most physical, but because of the most physical, they're the most mighty. So Gvura, Din, limitation, physicality, Yetzirah, but also they're the strongest. So they're positioned at the end of the ranks, they're positioned behind Klaishal to protect us, because they're the strongest. If someone attacks us from behind, then they're there to protect us. Remember, Amalek attacked us from behind. There's this notion of they are our protectors. They protect us. Number two, they, Chazal say that they pulled in the stragglers who fell behind. Once again, there's notion of, so to speak, being there to help others, to, to physically help those and to spiritually help those who are on the back end. So they protect us physically in the back and they also are there to catch those who fall behind. And perhaps the most famous person who ever lived from Shev Dan, Shimshon HaGibor, physical strength. The, you know, the one who really tapped into the concept of Koach, of Koach Gvura, Shimshon HaGibor. And yet this notion also extends into spiritual growth as well. How so? So this notion of being at end point, of being the final stage, Din Gvura, is like we said earlier, it's important because on the one hand you think of chesed, you think of spirituality as being great, but remember, the spirituality needs to become expressed into the physical to become real, otherwise it's just potential. So gvura and limitation ends up enabling actuality, which means that the physical cannot become a revelation of something spiritual, that's something powerful. It becomes a surface that reveals the spiritual. And what's something so unbelievable? there seems to always be a kesher, a partnership, between Yehuda and Dun. That Yehuda is the tail, Yehuda, sorry, is the, is the head, and Dun is the tail. That there are two sides of a partnership. So whenever there's this construction of something spiritual, they're always in partnership. So what do I mean? When the Mishkan was built, Yehuda and Dun built it. Yehuda, we have Betzalo, and and Ahaliyav was from Dun, and together they built it. Why? Because you have potentially of the spiritual, of the higher level of Betzalel from Shevet Yehuda, and you have the lower level from Shevet Dun. Same thing by the base of the Shlomo was from Shevet Yehuda. He had people from Dun help him with the building. Why? Because spiritual needs to become expressed through the physical. You have the head to become expressed through the tail. The tail becomes the lowest point, but also a revelation of the highest point, and in some sense becomes equally important. They become partners. And if you think about it, this is, I, I have this ha'ar, this chiddush, that Yehuda and Don are both forms of malchus and both forms of gevura and din. Why? Because Yehuda represents this higher stage. Yehuda is the shevet of malchus. Literally all the kings, right? The kings come from Yehuda, malchus based David. And also, but there's this notion of gevura, of strength, the gevura of the malchus. Because 
you know, what's the animal of Yehuda? Aryeh, a lion, which is really the midah of Gavura is Aryeh. And if you think about it, the, the same letters of Aryeh, which is a lion, is Re'iyah, which is sight. And the, the Baal Mashallah talk about how sight represents Gavura, represents limitation, because when you see something, it is as it is meaning it's nothing more. When you see it, it becomes limited. We've talked about this, but we're not going to go into all the different sugyas, but there was this notion that Chazal talk about that this, the concept of bracha v'riboy, something which can become something more, once you see it, you limit it, it becomes just that. So a farmer, let's say he wants a daven, who give him more, more bracha, give him more produce. Once he counts it, once he limits it and sees it and says this is it, it can't, you can no longer daven from a bracha, that would be a tefillah shav. There's this notion of re'iya as limitation. So Yehuda represents this concept of gevura, of malchus. Right? And the spiritual concept of malchus is revealing something higher. It's, it's a revelation of something transcendent, something spiritual. So a melech reveals HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. So Yehuda represents malchus, represents, represents gevura and din. And this notion of gevura and din, though, is also manifest in dun, but on a lower level. What do I mean? So... Once again, Dun represents Gavur, Shimshon HaGibur, and also represents Malchus in the concept that Dun is the physical that can reflect something higher, or something spiritual. So what's this partnership? It's so, so amazing when you think about how Torah is just unbelievable. Torah is unbelievable, but I want you to just see how amazing this is. So what are the themes here? So we have Yehuda partnering with Dun when it comes to building the base of Mikdash, when it comes to building the Mishkan. What's this notion? So, I started off this year by asking you, if you're the highest, the, the head, would you rather be the head or would you rather be the tail? Would you rather be the, the most unbelievable or, and kind of be above where everyone else is or would you rather be the tail, the bottom, and learn from everyone else? And there are advantages to both and there are obviously disadvantages to both. But let's think of it like this. Even if it would be better to be the head, what's the purpose of always connecting the higher with the lower, connecting... Uh, the, the people who are way ahead of others with those who are much lower. So number one, it humbles and inspires. It humbles those who are great in the sense that you you basically, you have a little bit of another when you, you get to be with those who are much lower than you and you give to them, it, it kind of grounds you. You become a little bit more sensitive to the fact that you have so much koach and you begin to become much more focused on helping others than focusing on your own godless, on your own extraordinary greatness. And it also inspires and motivates the lowest because when someone is so much inferior, so inferior to someone else, it's easy to think like, well, what does that person want to have to do with me? See, so, you know, in the Middle Ages, the, the, the Rishonim talk about one reason why people claim that Hashem has nothing to do with this world is that why would HaKadosh Baruch who's a God who's perfect, who's all-knowing, why would He want to have anything to do with me, someone who's so limited, someone who's so physical, immortal, and why, why would that happen? But this notion that, that even if someone is so much greater, they still want to have something to do with me, and the fact that Yehuda would partner with Dan, that partnership reveals this concept of, of something powerful. And I would say that if you don't do that, besides these advantages, you can get elitism, where the best is basically with the best, the worst is with the worst, and it just stays that way, and the gap expands as opposed to the gap um, getting smaller. And remember that when the higher gives to the lower, the higher doesn't give and lose, the higher gains. 
when you give of yourself, when you give of wisdom, that's the deeper idea of, of a Hanukkah flame. When a flame gives its flame to another candle, it doesn't lose any of its flame. If anything, it gets. When you give someone to yourself, when you share wisdom and ideas, you learn from your time needed, you, 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 you sharpen your formulations and ideas, you rethink through things, it makes you even more. You don't lose something. When you give money, then you can say you lose. But Chazal said that as much as you give, that's how much you get right back. So there's never a sense of losing when you give. Even though physically, when you give money, it looks like you're losing. When it comes to spiritually, it, there's no even half a mean of losing. Because the more you share, the more you become. And, and that's the powerful idea of chasad. It's the powerful idea of chachma. So the first idea was humbling and inspiring. Humbling those who are great and inspiring those who are lower. The next stage is something we've referred to is basically potential and actualizing potential. So the lower form done is, is, is in a certain sense equal to if not greater than Yehuda in the sense that it actualizes the potential of Yehuda. So Betzal is the mastermind. He has someone from Sheva Dun to actually implement it, to bring it to reality. Remember, something that's potential is not real. It's infinite. It can be anything. It's, it's extraordinary. It's great, but it's not real. Only when the potential is actualized, is made into something actually concrete and physical, does it become real. And the ideal is for the physical to become a reflection, a manifestation of that which is infinite and spiritual. And in a perfect ideal partnership and relationship, that would be the relationship between Yehuda and Dun of higher and lower forms of Malchus and Din. So now let's let's try to understand where Dun has went wrong and what it represents and the concept of, of Teves. So Dun is the most physical, is the lowest level of Klai That's what we basically framed it as. But in a certain sense, it has the potential for revealing the highest. And therefore, the lowest can become the highest because it can become a manifestation and a reflection of that spiritual root. So it can become something that reveals the spiritual and the infinite, but if not used correctly, if it becomes the physical, it doesn't reveal anything higher, that becomes an end in itself, then it's the potential for evil. And that's the snake, that's the nachash. So what's going on here? Let's develop this slowly. So first of all, Shimshon HaGibor. Shimshon HaGibor, Gevura, Din, the physical. What's, what's, what was Shimshon HaGibor's koach? Physical strength. But what was his downfall? Is that he got too connected with the physical surface. Do you remember how, how Shimshon HaGibor, why he, why he ended up getting um, killed? Had he, he got swayed? Because he sinned with his eyes. Re'iya, remember. Gevura. He sinned with his eyes, he looked at women, and he couldn't see the spiritual. He got so absorbed in the physical surface. And that's the problem of Shevet Dun, is getting stuck in the physical. Remember, a lot of the problems we saw with Shevet Dun was Avodah Zarah. What is Avodah Zarah? Avodah Zarah, the misconception of Avodah Zarah is you bow down to rocks. You bow down to statues. But if you look at the Rambam, the Ramchal, the Maral, the problem with Avodah Zarah is not sourcing yourself back to HaKadosh Baruch It's getting stuck in the intermediaries. So HaKadosh Baruch created the world and there were lots of intermediary stages between the infinite source, between HaKadosh Baruch himself and how HaKadosh Baruch flowed into this physical world. Avodah Zarah is getting stuck in the intermediaries and not sourcing yourself back to Hashem. What's the, the motivation behind Avodah Zarah? Is that if I actually source myself back to Hashem, then I have to live a life of MS and, and responsibility. There's mitzvahs, there's obligation. If I just focus on the intermediaries, I can take all the goods, but I don't have to actually pay for them. 
And a self-centered, a self-focused life will focus on how to serve myself as opposed to how to serve HaKadosh Baruch But part of the problem with the are also is the inability to get past the physical surface. That I need to have something concrete, some mamasha, something that I can understand and relate to. I can't relate to the abstract, the infinite, so I'm going to get stuck in the physical. The ideal is to recognize the physical as an expression of the spiritual and to relate to the infinite through the finite, as opposed to getting cut off and seeing the finite or the limited as an end in itself. If I can source myself back to Akash Baruch I use that which is limited as an expression of something spiritual and infinite, and then use the physical as a connection to the spiritual. But if I get cut off, if I get so absorbed in the physical and I forget to realize that there's something more, that there's something beyond the surface, then I get lost. And then there's a problem of a desire. Right after Ma'an Torah, Hashem said that you did not see any form. That Ma'an Torah is an experience of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but remember, once you lose that transcendent experience, don't get stuck in the physical. Use the physical to source yourself back to Hashem. And really, all of life is sourcing ourselves back to the Gashbarach, using the physical to connect us back to the spiritual. And Dun represents the idea of that gateway, the possibility of using this concept of Malchus, of Din, of the physical, to connect back to the spiritual. And the physical, when done that way, can reflect something much higher, but when corrupted, it doesn't represent anything higher. And this is the concept of the snake, of evil. Because evil is most deeply connected to physical. Like Ra comes from the root, which means breakdown, shattered. And the physical world is a world which is a breakdown of the spiritual. It's shattered, it's limited, it's things. It's just this. And evil, when misused, becomes something disconnected from the spiritual. Right? When you see the physical as something disconnected from the spiritual, that's evil. The Ramchal wrote, really, the whole Sefer Das Tfunos is showing how evil itself is here, to reveal the ultimate good, because evil gives us free will, evil creates contrast, evil gives us a, a battle, so to speak, to having to reveal Hashem's oneness, to having to choose good over evil, to achieve our ultimate perfection. But in that sense, the physical becomes something good. And when you can reveal that the ultimate good, that there is no, Enod Melad, there's nothing by Kosh Baruch Hu, and that the physical is here to reveal the spiritual, then you uplift that which could be used for evil. That's what Dun represents, is uplifting that which could be used for evil. That's why the Gemara in Sukkah, Dafnun Beis, says that the end of time, the Yimus Mashiach HaKadosh Baruch is going to shecht the Malchamavas, the Yitzhahara, and it's going to basically kill evil. But it doesn't say kill evil, it says shecht. Why? Because shechita is to be mekadesh, to make it kosher. At the end of time, HaKadosh Baruch Hu reveal that even the Yitzhahar, even the Malchamavas, even the Satan, was only here to push us and able us to achieve our perfection. It itself stems from good. It itself is actually fulfilling the Ratzon Hashem. And that there's no evil versus good, but that for, a, a, for the course of history, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave evil the purpose of giving us challenges so that we can actually choose perfection and choose good. But really there is no absolute evil that really Enon Movado, there's nothing but a Kashbaruchu, there's nothing but good, and that evil is here to serve a purpose. And Dun represents the uplifting of that concept of showing how the physical can reflect something higher. Yes, Dun is the lowest stage, the lowest level, but really that lowest level can reveal the ultimate good. And when we start from the physical world and we work our way towards the spiritual, Dun is that mechanism, that medium, that concept of Malchus. And let's bring it all together. This is the battle post-Hanukkah. 
This is the battle against the Greeks. The Greeks tried to cut us off from Akash Baruch Hu, tried to cut us off from the spiritual, said you have no connection to anything higher. All the Gezeros were here to cut us off, to destroy the relationship we have with Hashem, to destroy our connection from the physical world to the transcendent, to the spiritual. The Greeks tried to, tried to darken our eyes to make us forget the Torah. But here's the real the, the struggle. Hanukkah is not the end of our battle against the Greeks. It represents a stronghold. It, it, it connects us to our koach, to what we represent, to our battle. But the battle against the, the Greeks actually continues to go on. And it can, obviously goes on nowadays, but it goes on in the calendar post-Hanukkah. And the transition to Teves is the continuation of that battle against the Greeks, which is why it's so important to root the transition to Teves in Hanukkah, to represent how even as we transition to Teves, which continues that battle in the darkness, Asura Bateves from the Greeks translated Torah, where they tried to limit the infinite into, into non-Lashon HaKodesh, which is a whole shit we're not going to really go into now, but the concept is limiting the infinite within the finite to the point where it shatters it, it doesn't reflect anything higher. They wanted to disconnect the physical from the spiritual, disconnect us from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That transition point needs to be rooted in Hanukkah. And that's why Teves needs to be rooted in Hanukkah, because Teves is the battle of Dan. The battle of the physical, which becomes so physical. It's where the, the nights are the longest. It's the middle of winter. It's the darkest. It's where it's so easy to get lost. At that point, we need to learn how to properly use the physical as a medium of connecting to the spiritual, of uplifting done and not being lost, not, not falling into the, the state of the Nachash or where Shimshon HaGibra fell, really losing his spiritual sight. Because the more physical you become, the more easy it is to, to lose your connection to that spiritual root, that higher spiritual consciousness. And I would say that the, the, the highest state that we need to be in now is really yearning for something more. It's, it's at this stage that there's hope, that there's transition, because at this stage the, the days start to get longer, the nights start to get shorter. We start to remember who we are. We start to hope for something more. We need to yearn, like genuinely yearn for Mashiach. We need to yearn for, for so much more in our lives. And in the meantime, we need to actively engage in bringing Mashiach. We need to actively engage in learning and striving and achieving and uplifting others and inspiring. We need to remember that the Koch of the Mezuzah is going into that private domain, Rosh Hashayach, and really becoming aware of not only the oneness of the Kosh Baruch Hu and the fact that there's an eternal root to our world, as the Rambam says so beautifully, but that we each have a unique purpose within that. And you have to ask yourself, in that Rishazayachet, who am I? What is my koach? What am I going to achieve with my life? What can I do? How can I inspire others? And then the menorah then goes out. The right, it's on the right side when going out of the house because it's how you emanate that light into the world. And the real concept of the light of Hanukkah and the light of the menorah is to continue that emanation process after Hanukkah ends throughout Teves, throughout the darkness of Teves. And we need to really be focusing on who we are, and then lighting up the world, lighting up the people around us, being that source of koach in other people's lives. Because if you wait for other people to light you up, you'll often be waiting a long time. But you need to proactively choose to just light up your life, light up the life of those around you, just become so in love with Torah, to genuinely love to learn, to love to share Torah ideas, to do mitzvahs, to do chesed, 
the chesed in the, in the practical sense of kindness to others, but the chesed in the expansion of self, and, and the uh, tapping into that limitless or uh, boundaryless aspect of yourself, and then expressing that in the world, which requires gevura. You're always going to be limited when you express yourself out into the world, but allowing that expression to be as loyal to the root as possible, which is the true use of done, where the physical expresses the spiritual. So my bracha to you is that as we've transitioned from Hanukkah, we take the light of Hanukkah and we continue to light that light and uplift not only ourselves, but everyone around us.